Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, back for the Anarchist Woolless Week. And if you do hear analysis like this anywhere else, I will give you one used postage stamps. That's right. One news postage stamp. My name is Joseph Scar. I'm hosting today's program, Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Scar. If you'd like to talk to me later on in the day or who knows when, about any of the issues that I raise. The number is 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can make comments on my Facebook page, Toscano, the number for the public. Toscano for the public. Lots of interesting material there. You can go to a number of websites that we're involved in. Anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. So there's lots of things you can go to. You can go to the Tunner, tunnermall.org website, and the list goes on and on and on. Most of these um, uh, websites you can access via the Facebook page, Toscano for the public and the number again 0439 395 489 if you wonder what anarchy is all about no it's not about web pages and all that anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision making power that's direct democracy the people make the decision and elect or appoint delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional and national level of society where wealth is held in common. Why those concepts are basic to the anarchist struggle? Very simple. Anarchist society is in a society without rulers, not without rules. How do you get rid of rulers? Apart from the gallows. <laughs> and then there's another crop and another crop and another crop and another crop. Everybody wants to be a ruler. Well, you devolve power and destroy those institutional structures which allow people to exert power over others and you hold wealth in common. That's the best way I know of uh, creating society without rulers. You may have other ideas. If you do, I'm happy to, sh- happy to share them with you. All right. Sometimes things happen which highlight which highlight how 
things are. But sometimes it takes a little bit of thinking about it. And I was intrigued to see the Turnbull-led Liberal National Coalition, the current federal government, talk about trillions of dollars, really welfare budget. See, the great thing about being alive is the fact that we use words basically to build pictures in our minds about reality. And it's interesting to note that the one-third of Australians, that's 33%, about 8 million, who are almost totally reliant on the social security system are basically thought of and treated as welfare bludgers. It's interesting the way the word welfare is used to denigrate people and denigrate their role in society. Now, I don't like using the word welfare. I'm not going to use the word welfare in future, but I'm going to talk about it today because it is a word which is used by those who exercise power, by those in authority, to denigrate those people who, in the majority of cases, through no fault of their own, because they're too old, they're too sick, they're too... They're too young, they've got too many responsibilities to find themselves in a situation where they rely on society to assist them to survive. It's a very simple concept. I mean, let's not forget, this is a social security system. And the social security system was introduced in most Western countries for two reasons. One... Obviously, uh, the first reason, to assist those who find themselves in difficulty at particular times in their lives or particular times in their life cycle. And two, to ensure that we live in a secure community. If you have a poorer social security system or a social security net where tens of thousands of people fall through that net or you don't have a social security net. You require private security guards to ensure that you maintain that wealth. It's very simple. Because if one third of the population has no mechanisms by which to survive, they'll be forced to use whatever method in order to survive. And obviously you live in a society which is very insecure with high crime rates where a lot of the resources are actually used by those who have property and power to protect that property and power. So the introduction of a social security system is good for everyone. It's good for the rich, it's good for the poor, it's good for the dispossessed and the marginalised, and it's good for those people who live on the North Shore. 
it's good for everyone. And that's the whole purpose of the social security system. And obviously, when you go to nation states or societies where there is no social security system, you see not only higher levels of personal misery and disease and death, but higher levels of crime and destruction. So let's remember that when you invest, when you use some of the capital which is produced by society to look after the needs of those who find themselves either in a long-term or a temporary situation unable to fulfil their day-to-day needs, that this is an insurance policy. This is an investment in the nation. So when I see some liberal hack get up on his high haunches and talk about a possible $4 trillion, $4 trillion from $160 billion Social Security uh, bill, the alarm bells start ringing. And then I listen a bit closer. Because these people have targeted a number of subsections of those who use the social security system, young carers, young parents, students. Have you noticed how they've left the elderly alone? Because the elderly have been around a while and they expect something. And they can become rather militant if they need to because they've got nothing to lose at the end of the day. And I thought to myself, isn't this a fascinating fascinating insight into the mentality of our leaders? Well, not our real leaders, our false leaders. Our real leaders are those you know, people who sit in the boardrooms of national and transnational corporations who basically dictate parliamentary policy. They're our real... But I mean the leaders we think we've elected into power. And how their ideas have so much currency in the community. What if you say you live in a housing commission property or you receive social security benefits, you'll hear... The wheels click in half the population saying, bludger, 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 bludger. And it comes from this constant referral to people who require assistance, and that assistance is given to maintain harmony and hegemony in a society. You begin to see how this works. Now, I'm livid. And usually I'm not livid, but I am livid. The spotlight falls on young carers. Now, I've been involved. You know, I've been a medical practitioner for over 40 years and I've been involved with people with profound physical disabilities for over 35 years. And before the introduction of a Transport Accident Commission and a workers' compensation system, and now the National Disability uh, Network. 
people with profound disabilities were totally dependent on their families. The introduction of a carer's pension, which is a little bit above a new start allowance, a little bit below a disability you know, um, pension, play an important role in our society. An exceptionally important role. And especially young carers who put their life on hold to provide physical and mental assistance to a sick parent, a sick brother, a sick sister. Doing the work that the community should be doing for a pittance. Making that sacrifice and reducing the financial impact on the community by providing care for a pittance to a family member or a friend. And to think they have been targeted as welfare bludgers really highlights the mentality of this government and the mentality of many Australians who believe the constant propaganda that somehow the welfare system, in inverted commas, the social security system, is a burden on society. It's a burden on each and every one of us. Then we have young parents... especially single parents. We're told constantly that there is nothing more important in life than bringing up children, than playing a role of caregiver for children. Nothing more important in life. So obviously... Young parents who may not have the social skills or might not have the financial where-for-all to fall back on deserve support. And then we have students. So here we see the creation of a social security system has a drain on society, has a burden on society, not as something which is positive, something which reflects the type of society we are and the type of people we are. That somehow we should force more and more people of benefits into poorly paid part-time private work. And that's what we're looking at. What are we offering people? who are on Social Security benefits. Well, you've got the stick in one hand. What's the carrot? There's no carrot. Because the carrot is the same carrot which, you know, is dangled out at everybody. Poorly paid, part-time, insecure work, making a buck for some private company 
to augment the fortunes of the owner of the company or the major shareholders of a publicly listed company. That's the carrot that's been dangled to people. So this so-called policy, this so-called targeted policy, highlights the dearth of ideas in this government and this opposition in many sections of the Australian community. Because it's either, you know, it's as if the private sector is the motherload of all employment, of all essence of, of the essence of being, that if you're not privately employed, somehow, somehow you're not human. Somehow you're a burden on society. So why has it come to this? Why has it come to this? It's simple. Even an idiot, and I class myself as an idiot, even an idiot can tell you why we, 24 million people, and I'll say it again and I say it every program, and if you don't want to hear it, piss off. That's why 24 million people living on a continent can't even take care of the basic needs of a significant section of our population. All you've got to do is look around and you can actually see the social dislocation that's occurring in, you know, one of the so-called most livable countries in on the universe, if not the galaxy. Per, pardon the pun. So why? It's simple. We have bludges in our society. We have real bludges. We have a whole segment of our society who never put their hands in their pocket are never forced to contribute to the welfare of the nation as a whole. And we never talk about them. We never discuss them. We may mention them in the privately owned media and the corporate guild at ABC, sorry, the government guild at ABC or the corporate owned media, but we never discuss it. We never raise it. We never look at it as the essential problem. We do have bludges with a capital B. We have 24-carat bludges in our society. And they preen themselves and exhibit themselves as the trendsetters, as the essence of being, as what you and I should aspire to. And you can list these bludgers on a day-to-day basis. These are the very bludgers who make their money from denigrating those who require assistance through the social security system. Look at Australia's number one bludger, the octogenarian Mr Rupert Murdoch receives an $886 million tax refund, the biggest in Australian history in 2013, through the use of a little bit of creative accountancy. Is he ever called to justify it? The Australian Tax Office didn't even bother appealing the decision because they knew under the current legislative framework they'd just be wasting time 
appealing the decision. Then you've got bludges, 24-carat bludges like Chevron, a multi-billion dollar company, which paid $246 in tax for the year. You'd have to earn about $19,000 a year to pay $246 in bloody tax. Maybe 19500 And then you've got one-third of this country's richest companies who paid no tax last year. And then you've got household names like Google, Microsoft, Ikea, and the list goes on and on. Who pay the same taxation as somebody earning a quarter of a million a year? And you wonder why there is never enough resources to look after the needs of the third of people who rely on Social Security benefits to survive in our society. Because we have bludgers. But not only do we have corporate bludgers who receive taxpayers' money to run their businesses in terms of subsidies, but we have bludgers who are so powerful that they dictate parliamentary policy. They don't need to be in parliament. They don't need to raise you know, a telephone or send an email or get somebody to knock on your door, parliamentary. They are so powerful. You never see any legislation which is raised in parliament to ensure that these bludgers, these corporate bludgers, who enjoy the largesse of a social security system, of a stable society, where there is security for them to run their pathetic little businesses, but never contribute. They don't contribute to the police force. They don't contribute to the armed forces. They don't contribute to the health system. They don't contribute to the education system. And the list goes on and on. And why does it we allow it to occur? Because we are a fragmented community in Australia. For better get, forget about left and right. Forget about ruling classes and working class. It's all changed. This is the 21st century. It's about power and wealth. And we have a stratified society in Australia in the 21st century. We have the 1% who own 40% of the wealth in this country. Those people in the corporate boardrooms who call the shots on the type of legislation which is ever passed by Parliament, which ensures that their pockets are never rifled. The one percenters we all talk about. That small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. But we have another new class in this society which has been created during the deregulation, globalisation, corporatisation, privatisation era that has existed over the past 40 years, and that is the investment class. Over 15% of Australians have done exceptionally well using legislative frameworks which allow them to legally minimise their tax and maximise their wealth at the expense of their contribution to society. And these are the people in the main, not all of them, 
But in the main, these are the people who crap on about a few changes to superannuation, who talk about welfare bludges, who carry on, you know, about their investments. And the list goes on and on. And in this investment class is not based on your traditional class analysis. It is based on the amount of disposable income you have in your hand at the end of the week. And whether you can use that disposable income to negatively gear property to maximise your wealth at the expense of the taxpayer or the rest of the community or to get involved in the stock market and other investment opportunities where you can legally, legally, and that's the key word, legally minimise your tax. When I spoke about Mr Murdoch and Foxtel and News Corporation, Chevron and Google, and the list goes on and on, they do nothing illegal in this country. Everything they do is legal because of the legislative framework under which we are ruled by. So this investment classes crosses traditional classes. You have construction workers, you have doctors, you have your investors, you have people who'd be considered to be tradespeople, you know, blue-collar workers, who may you know, employ one or two people who find themselves in that situation with the disposable income, who become part of the investment class and take on the morality, the ideas, the philosophy, the ideology of the investor. Somebody who provides capital but doesn't dirty their hand, they may have dirtied their hand to get that capital, but then uses that capital to maximise their return. And then you have... The losers. Should be tattooed on our forehead. Losers. Every single one of us who are involved in the workforce. Every single one of us who is a pay-as-you-earn taxpayer, whether it's a small business or an employee. This is where the majority of this country's taxation revenue comes from, the $480 billion which was raised last year. This is where it comes from, the pay-as-you-earn taxpayer. These are the people who bear the weight of carrying the social security system, of ensuring that infrastructure doesn't crumble. These are the backbone of our society, who are taxed to the hilt, who have no opportunity to legally minimise their taxes. And then you have the one-third of Australians who are forced to rely on a social security system which forces most of them under the poverty line. Think about it. That's Australia the world's most livable country, the land of opportunity, the land of a fair go. But the cracks are there. You can see the cracks widening. You can see the social dislocation occurring. You can see the anger. You can see the internalisation of that anger 
causing more anxiety and depression. As I said last week, I was quite shocked, and I'm usually not shocked. I've been around long enough not to be shocked to hear that in the past 10 years that anxiety rates have almost tripled among young people. And then you think, well, think about it. What have they got to look forward to? Unless they've got a rich daddy or mummy. What have they got to look forward to? Hard to get into the property market, if not impossible. Rents are high. If you go on to tertiary education, you've got a hex debt for, you know, for years and years and years. Then you're faced, irrespective of the, if you get a degree or not, you're faced with the possibility of years of part-time, insecure, poorly paid work in a society where to be a trade union member is to be seen as a criminal act. So think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Scarner. Now, look, it's easy to pontificate, all right? It's easy to, you know, stick a pick into a balloon. It's not hard. And prick the balloon. But what is hard is what can we do about it? We've just had a general election, and yours truly, you know, put himself up in the electorate of Dunkley, a Liberal hell seat in Victoria on the outskirts of Melbourne. And I ran on these ideas, make the 1% pay 1% and raise a number of issues. I got the huge vote of 1.31% and the Liberal Party member was uh, elected for that electorate. Not through want of trying, so there are parliamentary options, but if you look at the current parliamentary uh, makeup, you can see that it's those who fear the other who make up the bulk of the opposition forces in that parliament. Those who blame the Muslim and the Aborigine and the lesbian and the gay man and the list goes on and on. It's always the other. It's always the other. If we get rid of the other, we'd have a perfect society. I mean, that seems to be the state of debate in our society today. So what can we do? Now, I am currently involved in a lot of things, and those of you who want to find out what I personally am involved in, you go to the Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, number for the public, and you'll see. Now, many of these events are based on remembering historical precedents, and historical precedents are important because we are a society that doesn't value our past, that doesn't know our past. If you don't value or know your past, nothing ever changes. You just tread water or swim backwards. I mean, how many Australians really understand? How many schools teach their students that almost every one of the benefits we enjoy in society today is linked to people taking action, both extra-parliamentary action and parliamentary action, in order to change the type of society we are. How many people realise the importance of a trade union movement or a workplace movement in order to change that society and make 
the welfare of those who work to produce wealth a major issue in this country? How many people understand that the assault on the trade union movement is all about breaking down the power of an organisation which had a profound impact on creating the type of society we have today? Well, you do have holiday pay. You do have sick pay. You do have if, you know, your employer follows the law, reasonable wages. And the list goes on and on and on. But today, to call yourself a trade unionist or a unionist is akin to calling yourself a member of the Apex Gang or a criminal association. And that's occurred during that the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation and globalisation era that we are still in. That anybody, anybody, any organisation, any individual that speaks about putting a break on the excesses of those that control wealth and power is somehow a criminal somehow doesn't have a right to exist, somehow doesn't have a right to articulate their ideas and put those ideas into practice. So the first thing we need to do as a people is to forget about the other. Because it's not the other which is the central issue as far as our welfare is concerned and the welfare of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It's not the other. It's not the migrant. It's not the person of a different racial origin. It's not the person's gender or gender orientation. It's not their religious faith or lack of religious faith. We're told that that's the issue today. That's the central issue, this great struggle. There were all Australians. We're all in the same ship. We forget. There are those who are rowing and those who are sitting on the upper deck in the uh, first class enjoying themselves while the rest of us are rowing the ship. We forget that. And they don't care what colour you are or what your racial origin is, as long as you're rowing that ship and you're quiet. So the first thing is, forget about the struggles about the other, the Muslim, the Aboriginal, the Torres Strait Islander, you know, the gay person. That's not the issue. Obviously there's discrimination in those areas, but that's not... It is not the... That is not the central problem. They are not the problem. I mean, people may say, let's ban Muslim immigration. So what? Is it going to change the power inequalities that exist in our society? Of course it's not. And that's the tragedy of Australian politics. We all think it's the other. Well, many Australians think it's the other. If only there weren't so many Indians, in, you know, or so many Chinese, or so many gay people, and the list goes on and on, things would be different. Well, they wouldn't be different. You'd still have rulers and ruled. You'd still have people who centralise power in their hands. Think about it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, There's both a parliamentary 
option and a non-parliamentary option. They're not both mutually exclusive. Because let's remember, the Australian Labor Party was formed in in the 1890s as a result of the failure of direct action and the great strikes across the eastern seaboard in the colonies of New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland and Tasmania. It was formed as a result of that failure of workers to actually change things. So we need a new social political movement, a new social political party. And as I said before, since April last year, I've been actively involved, I'm the Secretary and Convener, of a new political social movement called Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. There's nothing new about public interest before corporate interest, although it's fascinating talking to people that most people don't even know what the public interest is anymore. They don't even understand what public is because it's been so denigrated over such a period. So there are options. You can do nothing. You can howl at the moon. I've noticed the full moon recently. You can take another pill, go to bed, or you can become actively involved. If parliamentary politics isn't your cup of tea, by joining public interest before corporate interest, it's not just a parliamentary party. It's more than a parliamentary party. It's about the recreation of a social and political movement, which we're seeing in many parts of Western Europe, which actually challenges the status quo, which actually challenges the inequalities, which challenges the 1%. If the 1% just paid 1%, we wouldn't have any of those problems. We wouldn't have some lame duck liberal minister getting up and targeting young carers and, you know, young parents and students, you know, as potential, potential welfare bludgers on, on society. Wouldn't be an issue. Wouldn't be an issue. So don't ring me up and complain, all right? I'm happy to talk to people regarding what they're going to do about it. There's no point just complaining. We are part of a complaining culture. We complain about two flies, you know, going up a wall. See, they love people complaining because they can deal with complaints. They can set up committees and subcommittees to look at your complaint. They can have investigations. They can have consultations. They can divert your complaints in a myriad of ways. Complain, 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 all you like. All you'll do is get sore teeth from complaining and maybe get a stroke because your blood pressure goes so high you're going to have a stroke and die. Complaining is not the way forward. The way forward is to seize power. And you do that through protests, you do that through strikes, you do that through occupations, you do it through parliamentary action. So if you're interested, community boycotts, the list goes on and on. If you're interested in joining a political social movement that just has a parliamentary wing and a direct action wing, Pipsy's the organisation for you. Public interest before corporate interest. Have a look at the Application form. If you're computer literate, go to the website, pipsi.net. Pipsi.net. Download the application form. And before you know it, hey presto, you're a member of public interest before corporate interests. It's very simple. You can email pipsi at info at pibci.net. Now, just to remind you, on Sunday the 2nd of October, 
from 1.30 to 4pm at the Seaford Community Centre, which is in Melbourne, Station Street, Seaford in Melbourne. The Hastings-Frankston branch of public interest before corporate interests is holding a Stop Privatisation of Public Schools Forum, public forum. And it looks, looking at the crisis in Australian public schools and how education money is spent and the funding. And the special guest speaker on the day will be Jean Ely, who's a well-known proponent for public schools. She's a foundation member of the Defence of Government Schools organisation, which was formed in 1964. And uh, so 1.30 until 4pm, Sunday, the 2nd of October, Seaford Community Centre, Station Street in Seaford. You're all welcome. Now, if you want further information, you can ring 0458 141071. 0458141071. Just turn up on the day. You don't have to ring if you want to turn up. Just turn up, bring your friends. And if you want further, you can either write to Pipsy at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 or you can email for further information to info at pipsy.net. So that's Sunday, the 2nd of October, which is will soon be upon us, 1.30 to 4pm. 4, 4 Jean Ely is the guest speaker on a stop privatisation of public schools public meeting. People say, well, it's just a public meeting. Well, a public meeting allows people with similar ideas to come together and possibly organise more actions. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere, and they should be congratulated for actually looking at that issue. You know, it didn't seem to be a big issue during the current election campaign, did it? The fact that hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayers' money goes to support private schools and that private schools get more money than public schools from the taxpayer. Just extraordinary. You know, some schools they used to build their rowing sheds or their third, uh, you know, playing fields, and the list goes on and on. So you want to talk about inequality? Talk about public schools and what's happening in public schools. At least public interest before corporate interest has taken up that issue. So I'm encouraging you, not begging. We don't beg and beseech, we encourage you. I'm encouraging you to get out of your bloody chair, to stop complaining, become a member of public interest before corporate interest. Hopefully we'll become registered as a political party within the next six to nine months. And hey, bingo, we'll be there for the fray, both parliamentary and extra-parliamentary. So if you want to join, go to pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I dot net, download the application form. Don't use computers, we leave no one behind. Write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Email us at info. I said that. Ring us on 0439 395 489. As I said before, we've got a lot of issues that we will be campaigning about as we uh, move up to the end of the year. And a lot of things people say, well, it's all finished. Well, it hasn't finished. As I said before, Sunday the 2nd of October, 1.30 to 4pm, Seaford Community Centre, Stop Privatisation of Public Schools, a PIPSI initiative. Now, 
same day, same day, yes, believe it or not, the same day, the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, don't forget the celebrations on the 3rd of December. And that reminds me that if you're sick and tired of those orders of Australia going out on Invasion Day the 26th of January and Queen Lizzie's birthday in June, well, and you know somebody out there who will never get a gong, but it deserves a gong because of their community action, their radical activities, send in their name, contact address for the person in a sentence or two about why you think they deserve a Eureka Australia Day medal. Uh, nominations close about the uh, 25th November, so you've got a little while yet, and you can send nominations to anarchist, anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com, or, or you can uh, send nominations to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. We've got a good list of nominations. We need more. Many more, because we usually give out six, five or six Eureka Australia Day medals on Eureka Day, the 3rd of December, at Bakery Hill, the very spot where the Eureka Oath was taken. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. And why are we so hung up about Eureka? Well, it was a pivotal moment in Australian history. It showed how direct action led to political action, parliamentary action, how it changed the nature of Australian society. And on Sunday the 2nd of October, the same Sunday as the Seaford Community Centre meeting, from 11am to 1pm, we have a Meet the Candidates public meeting, the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations Committee, which is part of the Anarchism Institute, has organised a Meet the Candidates public meeting, now, there are a number of candidates standing in Ballarat for the three wards for the Ballarat um, council elections, and obviously there are council elections around the, um, around the state of Victoria. And we're holding a specific public meeting where we're inviting all the candidates to come to that meeting from 11am to 1pm on Sunday the 2nd of October at the Ballarat Regional Trades and Labor Council, Ballarat Trades Hall, at 24 Camp Street in Ballarat. That's Ballarat Central, just across, just behind the art gallery there. Uh, 24 Camp Street, Ballarat. You don't have to ring anybody, just turn up on the day, 11am to 1pm. That's right. And the candidates will be asked their opinion on three questions, which they've already been uh, sent. Nominations closed at the 20th of uh, September. Question one, will they, will they support a motion in the Ballarat City Council to fly the Eureka flag on the main flagpole on Ballarat Town Hall on Eureka Day, the 3rd of December. It has never, the flag has never, Eureka flag been flown on the main flagpole on Ballarat City Hall for 162 years. How do the council expect other Australians to honour the sacrifice made by the Eureka diggers and their supporters when they can't even be bothered to fly the Eureka flag on the main flagpole on the 3rd of December. Extraordinary, isn't it? Extraordinary that we have to organise a public meeting for the candidates to see, if they're elected, whether they would support such a proposal. Two, 
declare the 3rd of December Eureka Day as a public holiday to allow the people of Ballarat to celebrate a story that is pivotal to Ballarat's community, social, cultural and financial future. Ballarat has something no other Australian city has, the Eureka Rebellion. They use the symbols, why not declare a holiday, use that holiday to promote the ideas behind the Ballarat Rebellion. And three, to to work towards the passage of federal legislation that recognises the Eureka flag as an official Australian flag. So you'd have the Australian flag, Torres Strait Islander flag, the Aboriginal flag, and then you'd have the Eureka flag at all public functions. Think about it. As I said before, we've been holding celebrations in Ballarat since 2002. We'll be holding one this year on the 3rd of December from 4am to 10pm. Obviously, you're all welcome. Uh, The dawn ceremony from 4am to 6am will be broadcast live on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. And it'll be uh, pod, and it'll not it'll be podcast, but also it'll be going live on 3cr.org.au, so anybody can listen to it. So, again, this is a, I mean, for the last fourteen years we've been fighting for this with no success. Every council has basically ignored us. You know, some have taken more interest than others. The last council was particularly disinterested in Eureka. So this time, we will be approaching all the candidates to come to the public meeting to see what they will do if they're elected on these questions. Obviously, there are other questions for Ballarat City Councils, but this is what this public meeting is all about. Now, as Eureka belongs to all of us, I encourage people from around the country to come to the meeting. 11am to 1pm, Sunday, the 2nd of October. It's quite funny. I think at 2pm, there's a, there's a uh, the Ballarat Ratepayers Association and the Museum of Australian Democracy at Eureka is holding a public meeting with the candidates on the same day at Ballarat Town Hall. So we've got the two centres of power. We've got Ballarat Town City Hall and we've got the Trades and Labor Councils Hall. You know, fascinating. 11am to 1pm down at uh, Trades Hall, Ballarat Trades Hall, the second oldest Trades Hall after the Melbourne Trades Hall in the world. Still functioning, still working, uh, still working. All right, now a few other things to remember. Peter Norman Day, the 9th of October, Sunday, midday, at Human Rights Square, formerly City Square in Melbourne, the corner of Swanson Street in Melbourne. I'll talk more about that as we get closer to that. Then on the 28th of, 28th of October, we have the uh, Lest We Forget celebration, yes, you may not know this, but the 28th of October, that's a Friday, we will be congregating at midday outside Story Hall at RMIT in Swanson Street, and I'll talk more about that, to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the defeat of the first Australian conscription plebiscite which was held on the 28th of October 1916. And it's no exaggeration to say if that plebiscite had been successful, another 60,000 young Australian men would have been sacrificed on the European killing fields for the glory of God, king and country in a war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet. These are the unsung heroes of World War I. 
the anti-conscription movement in this country, made up of the trade union movement, women's group, sections of the Roman Catholic Church, sections, as I said before, the trade union movement, and more importantly of all, the radical workers' organisation, the industrial workers of the world. So join us to mark this pivotal event. Obviously, we don't have any government grants like they did to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Anzac Day. Obviously, uh, you're welcome to join us on the day, and I'll speak more about that. Then we've got on the 13th of November the annual trip of Anarchists to Murchison. That's a, a Sunday to uh, honour the life of Francesco Fantine, an Italian anarchist who was murdered at Camp Love Day in South Australia in, in 1942. He's buried in the ossuary there. The ossuary's only opened on one day a year, and uh, we'll be um, we'll be there. And then we've got, obviously, Eureka Day, the 3rd of December. Uh, the whole program hasn't been finalised. We're nearly there. Hopefully, the next week or two, it'll all be finalised. So thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. As I said before, lots of stuff. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you listen to this program for the first time and like it, send it to your friends. If your local community radio station doesn't broadcast The Anarchist World this week, irrespective of whether they're a member of the Community Radio Network or not, uh, we can... uh, Get the Anarchist Will this week broadcast on your local community radio station. As I said before, want to have a chat? Don't complain. Just a chat. 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Go to the Anarchist Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. Uh, you can also go to the Pipsy website, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. That's public interest before corporate interest dot net. Go to the Tana Minoway Moor Bohina website, Tana, T-U-W-N-E-R, Moor, M-A-U-L, dot org. Don't forget all the list of things, especially the 2nd of October, the two things coming up. You can either go to the Pipsy Forum at Seaford in Melbourne on Sunday, the 2nd of October, one thirty until 4, or you can actually go to the Ballarat meeting where you meet the candidates and get their opinions for the Ballarat City Council on Eureka. So think about it. There are things to do, lots of things to do in October. We look forward to seeing you at these events. And once again, thanks to all those people who get involved in the issues we're involved in. That number again, 0439 395 489. Don't have a phone? Don't believe in the computer? Don't want to have anything to do with it? You can always write to us, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. And if you really want to help, we need one stamps as soon as possible. Send as many as you can to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. We leave no one behind. Many of our listeners don't use the net. They're beginning to feel ostracised, marginalised. We need to correspond with them. So send us $1 stamps. It'd be very helpful to keep the Anarchist Institute afloat. Not that we've got any debts, it's just that we need stamps, $1 stamps. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your community radio station via the Community Radio Network next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday, 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.